And again, happy Sabbath. Let us pray. Lord, as we open your word this morning, we pray that you would be with us, give us understanding and wisdom and guidance in your word, because we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a very interesting little text in Matthew, the ninth chapter, and the 16th verse that says no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch will pull away. Jesus was very comfortable talking about patching old clothes. Now we live in a society today where patching old clothes doesn't seem to be the norm. In fact, People today are buying jeans that have holes in them, and they pay for those. Uh, in fact, my granddaughter, Leah, told me that you pay more for those that have those shredded holes. I must share with you that I grew up in a different age. Because wearing jeans in my day that had holes in them was not the proper thing. I've seen my mother sit at the sewing machine many evenings putting patches in our jeans so that our knees wouldn't show. And now we pay big money so that they show. <laughs> Jesus talked about patching old clothes. He talked about that for a reason. I ran across a little poem that maybe explains it to some degree, and those in my generation will understand it. There is Pete, Jim, Jack, George, Joe, and Ned, a half dozen boys to be clothed and fed. I buy for them all plain vittles to eat, but clothes I only buy for Pete. A few of you got it. I am sure that Jesus understood this concept. But the question is what moved Jesus to talk about patching old clothes? What was it that caused him to give this brief little story? Why did he mention it? What was the reason? According to Matthew, certain disciples of John the Baptist had come to Jesus with a question. We find it here in Matthew, the ninth chapter, in the 14th verse. It says, Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often? But your disciples do not fast. Why is it that we follow the traditions and the practices of today, but you and your disciples do not? They seem to say, you are a religious man. <coughs> you are stamped with the approval of the best. You come to us with great authority. You understand what's going on. Why is this? You see, to Jesus, their question showed that they totally misunderstood his mission. They looked upon Jesus as a reformer. 
one who was going to <coughs> mend and patch up the religion of the Jews. He was going to establish his earthly kingdom. He was here to fix their religion. But Jesus said he had not come to reform. Rather, he said, I have come to transform. He said, I have not come to improve. I have come to remake and make it new. He said, I'm not going to patch up your old religion. I'm not even going to patch up your old life. I'm going to make you a new person. You know, we like new things. He says he's going to correct He's not going to correct certain evils in the world. Rather, he says, I'm going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. That's Isaiah 65. He says there's going to be a new earth. And in that new earth, he says that you and me, we, will be new people. We will not be mended and made over. We will be new. You know, the idea still clings to the man, man's mind today that we need to remake and reshape and redo society. And for 1,900 years, we've tried. But I'm afraid that we really don't necessarily understand. <clears throat> there are those today that look upon religion as a fixed fact. They look at it as a statistic rather than a living, abiding principle. We often fail to see that our Lord is here not to mend, but to create a new person. Not to mend men and women, boys and girls, but to make them new. He wants us to be able to say, as did Paul, in 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter and the 17th verse, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? He's a new creature, a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. As we look back upon that scene of Jesus and those questioners, and Jesus said, we don't put unshrunk cloth on materials we're patching we find that those questioners and us today have one point in common and one that we can agree upon. We all see that humanity has needs. Every human being has needs. They differ, perhaps, even sometimes greatly on how to meet those needs, but society at large says we have not arrived. Mankind has problems. Society has great problems. And yet today, 
even though we agree with this group that our human nature needs changed, the way to change that has great differences. That man has not arrived is commonly believed. You see, in that distant day, they did not look upon an individual that was finely dressed, a new suit, a new dress, as being okay necessarily. It did not symbol the human nature. It was only the outward appearance. An outward appearance was something that Jesus recognized and understood. It was the inner person that really mattered. And Jesus never shut his eyes to the fact that sin, no matter what it is, separates us from God. And he said every individual has sinned. Many times in the mission that Jesus stated, he came to seek and save lost mankind. He came to seek and save lost sinners. The need is felt. Jesus understood it. His questioners understood the need. Mankind has understood it down through the centuries. Some of the greatest men of God understood it. You know, David cried out for a clean heart, wrote the Psalms. Paul asked that the old man of sin might die. Even Judas, with all of his hardness, couldn't face himself after he betrayed Jesus and he rushed out and hanged himself. You see, my friends, if the need grows out of a realization of our sins, of the mistakes in our lives, the problems. Do not even the best of mankind understand that? Our children's story this morning talked about the rich young ruler. He said, I've done everything right. I've kept all the commandments. I've done it since I was a kid. But what do I like? It was that personal love relationship with Jesus of giving himself to Jesus that he missed. You see, friends, as we come near the end of time, as these last days draw closer and closer, this need will be felt more and more by all mankind. We look at society today, and all society is saying, there's problems. We have problems in the world. We have problems in our homes. We have problems in our businesses. Are we going to do what the Bible talks us to, about doing? When we see the need, how do we answer? You see, there are really three ways to answer the question of that need. We can do nothing. In fact, some people want to tell us that there is nothing that can be done. They say that man is either getting better and better, we're living longer, we're healing diseases, we're doing great things. So life will just go on. There's another element in that society that says you can't do anything that says we're getting worse. 
Mankind is more cruel to one another. The world is crueler than ever to nations around us. They say there's nothing that can be done. It'll just go on the way it is. That's one group. There's another group that says we've got to take the stuff that we're made of and we've got to reshape it, redo it, remake it, and make the world a better place. We've got to patch up the old man and the old woman. They would cut out certain social orders. They would add others. And they tell us by their own efforts and their own doings, they can solve mankind. We'll patch it up. We'll remake it. Now, that element sort of reminds me of a personal story that happened to me when I was a student in high school. I went off from the farm to Sunnydale Academy up in Missouri, a boy off of the farm wearing overhauls and homemade shirts, shirts made out of feed sacks. Some of you remember those. We would buy the chicken feed and say, we want that sack because that'll be my next shirt. That's what I went off to school with. I had a corduroy jacket and a pair of pants that were my Sabbath clothes. And I hadn't been on campus long till I realized that my dress was totally outdated with the boys from Kansas City and St. Louis. Because in those days, the thing was to have a dark blue suit, wide lapels, one button, and a white button there. And if you had that dark blue suit, wide lapels, and a white button, you were dressed. So when I went home at Christmas time, I had been sharing in my letters. You know, this was the days before telephoning home. In fact, my folks didn't even have a telephone. So I would write, and I was saying to them in the letter, you know, when I'm home at Christmas, I really hope I can get a new suit. And when I arrived home, we talked about it, and they said, well, we probably can. So Mother and I went to town on Friday. Mother usually shopped on Friday. We took the eggs in and the cream and got a little money. And we went to two or three men's stores, and we went into one and said, I've come to buy a suit. And the guy looked at me and he said, yeah, about a 40 tall. I saw a rack, one of these round racks that had a lot of suits on it, $29.99. Now in the early 50s, that was more than we might think of today, but that was cheaper than we had anticipated. So I immediately gravitated over to that rack and I sorted around and I found it. It was a beautiful blue suit. 
It had wide lapels. It had a dark blue button that I knew we could change. And I said, this is it. And the man said, uh, not sure that'll fit you. Uh, but it was the suit. So I slipped into that little room, you know, where the doors are this high. And I put on this pair of trousers. Now, I discovered immediately that there was a little problem. Because if I turned loose of them, I was pantless. They were way big, way big. But I came out holding them up, and I said to Mother, you know, they're a little big. She said, yeah, about a foot. <laughs> and I said, but that's not a problem, because, you know, there's a seam here, and there's a seam here, and there's a seam in the back, and you're an excellent seamstress. We can just take this thing up. And, you know, Mother pinched it together, and she measured and looked, and she said, well, why don't you try on the jacket? And I did. It came about right there. <laughs> there was enough material here that my brother could have gotten in with me. But I said, that's not a problem. Look at all this extra material. You're an excellent seamstress. We went home with the suit. It was relatively early Friday afternoon, and Mother started working on this suit. Mother was an excellent seamstress, and uh, she called me in. We were actually milking the cows, and she called in and said, I want you to try on the pants. And I came in, and she had more pins in those pants than she did in her pincushion. But I slipped them on, and I said, Mother, you're a genius. You're a genius. Sew it up. So she did. She let the sleeves out a little bit. She took a little bit out of the jacket. Sabbath morning, I got up. I was excited. I'd even bought a new white shirt and a red tie. Blue suit, wide lapels, white button. I was dressed like the boys of St. Louis. So I went into the bedroom and I slipped on the pants. Uh, they were the right size around. And again, I was saying, boy, Mother, you're a genius. Then I went to look for the pocket. <laughs> you know, I, I usually carry a knife. I've got one here, I think. And uh, some keys. And this is about where it ought to be. And I went to put my knife in there, and I couldn't find the pocket, and I finally found it back about here. It was kind of like having a gun holster. And I thought, well, I can live with that. You just got to learn to reach back a little further, you know. Then I got my wallet. You know, I, I usually carry a wallet. It has your driver's license in it. Once in a while, a little money. And I went to put my wallet in the pocket, and I couldn't find it. And I finally found it just about in the middle, but it was only about that wide. You know how many times I wore that suit? One time. I learned 
that you cannot make over some things and make them work. It just doesn't work. You cannot take some things of society and patch them up and make it work. There are some things you cannot reshape, redo, recut, and make it work. And when it comes to our life and our love and our relationship to Jesus, he said you can't reshape it. You can't recut it. You've got to get a new suit. And he says, I'll give it to you. You see, the remedy Jesus suggested is forget about mending, forget about remaking, Forget about patching up the old man, the old woman of sin. Rather become a new person. Buy a suit that fits. Get Jesus. It fits. You see, this is the gospel of regeneration. It's an old gospel. It's been around as long as history. But we must understand why Jesus said you must be born again. You've got to be new. You've got to be my child, Jesus says. This experience has been experienced by thousands, by us here this morning, to become a new person. How does it happen? That's the real question. What do we have to do? What is our part in becoming a new person? in getting that suit that fits. What do we have to do? Maybe a little personal illustration again will help us understand that. As a kid growing up, both of my grandparents, mother's parents, dad's parents, lived close. And uh, we were at Granddad and Grandma Gibson's, Granddad and Grandpa Huff's, almost every day. It was just a way of life. And one of the things that we did was to take milk because Grandma and Grandpa Huff didn't have any cows. So we would take milk over to them quite often, two or three times a week. This was the days before electricity, so you didn't keep stuff around as long as we do today. And my brother and I shared that responsibility. Usually we would jump on our little horse Prince we would ride over to Grandma and Grandpa Huff's with the milk and come back home shortly thereafter. It was just about three-quarters of a mile, about a quarter of a mile up the road, a half a mile through an 80-acre tract of timber to Grandma and Grandpa Huff's house. I'd ridden that little trail, log, old log trail through those woods many, many, many times. I'd walked it many, many times. And one evening, when it was my turn to take the milk, mother and dad said to me, it's getting late, don't stay at Grandma and Grandpa's too long. Grandpa loved to tell Minnesota stories, and I loved to hear them, about the time they filled the ice house with icicles in Minnesota. Those kind of stories. 
So we got the milk over there and we visited a while and ate molasses cookies and suddenly I realized it was almost dark and I'd better get home. I jumped on Prince. I started back down the old log trail and the timber had been sold in that section and there were log trails everywhere. They had skidded logs and hauled logs and the old log road was sort of disguised now with many, many trails, and I went down. It was just a half a mile across, an 80-acre piece of timber. And on one side was George Sperlin's fence, and on the other side was Granddad Gibson's fence. So I could be less than a quarter of a mile from a fence and less than a half a mile on either end from a road. But I was lost. There were roads everywhere. And I would stop Prince and I would look trying to find something familiar and I would go up this trail as fast as he could go. And I would stop him and we would look and we did this for about an hour. I think I covered every trail that there was in that 80 acres. And I was getting scared. I said, maybe somehow I got out of the territory I ought to be in and I'm in a forest that I don't even know about. So in desperation, I dropped the reins, I patted Prince on the neck and I said, go home, boy, go home. And he took off. In three minutes, we were home. Three minutes. Now, I don't know how horses think. I don't even know if they think. But if they do, I'm sure Prince wondered, what in the world does Lee want to look at every trail in this dark 80 acres of timber for tonight? If he'd just let me run, if he'd just give me the rain, we'd be home. Jesus says to you and to me, why are you wandering up and down the pathways of sin? Why are you wandering around in the ways of darkness? Give me the reins. Say to me, Lee, take me home. That's the answer. Quit patching old clothes. Give Jesus the reins. Tell him to take us home. Let us pray. Lord, this morning we thank you and praise you for the opportunity to be in this your house of prayer. Lord, help us to stop patching old clothes. Help us to understand to turn loose of the reins of life. Give them to you and understand and know that you will make us new and guide us to eternity is our prayer in Jesus' name.